Welcome to Sad Styles Productions. Let me run you through our daily specials. On Tuesday, relive your childhood gaming memories on the Retrograde Podcast. On Thursday, the Jackass crew relives the pain and glory of the TV show Jackass. Also on Thursday, Mikey and Brian let you in on all the secrets of sports marketing on the sign-off, a framework podcast. On Fridays, losing money with Andrew Baskin helps satisfy your 20-minute sports gambling fix. Keep your hands inside the car at all times. Enjoy the ride. Get into it. Coming up... A Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. I am joined in studio, as always, by Brian Aaronworth, the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, uh, otherwise known as my personal Vanna White, my sidekick, Brian Aaronworth. Thanks again for <laughs> Thanks. joining us. The more and more I add on to that description, the more you roll your eyes at me in the, in the get-go. Uh, maybe I'm embarrassing you in front of your, your friends here, but, uh, but we're going to keep that going. Your friend in this case is uh, is someone very special. Today on the podcast, we're joined by an absolute Hall of Famer. That's right. There are Hall of Famers, and then there are absolute Hall of Famers. Uh, in 13 NHL seasons, he played for the Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and most notably the Philadelphia Flyers, whom he helped lead to two Stanley Cups in 1974 and 75, earning the Vesna and Conn Smythe during what has become... Uh, to be known one of the most dominant stretches of goaltending in the league's history. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Bernie Perrant. Thanks so much for joining us, Bernie. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Not, life, not too bad. Uh, life is good. Life is life good. Life is great. And yeah. uh, thanks for asking how I'm doing. You know, most of our guests just, they want to get right into themselves. I'm glad to be included <laughs> in this. This is, this is a fun one. Um, Bernie, as, uh, as we kind of talked about before, and as we always talk about on this podcast, we are interested to get into kind of your early days in, uh, in the league and, and, and the journey that you went through there. But we are also going to get into uh, your life as it pertains to marketing and, uh, and memorabilia and those sorts of things. Now, just a real light question off the top. Uh, you know, obviously, Frameworth were fairly heavy into uh, sports marketing and memorabilia as it is. Growing up, I know you had an affinity towards Jacques, Jacques Plant, but did you have uh, any uh, trading cards or collections as a kid that, that you cherished quite a bit, maybe that you still have? Well, I'll tell you, what I cherish the most, really, is when I was a kid, because Plant was a lot older than me, you know. Yeah, right. a lot older than me. But he, um, his sister lived in Canada, Montreal. His sister lived next door to us. And I remember once a year, Plant would come in with his big car, convertible, right? Big hat on, a cigar. He would get out of his car and I'd be watching from the kitchen window, scared, you know, <laughs> watching him walk like a king because he was a king, you know, yeah. to, um, to go see his uh, sister next, uh, next to us. Uh, that will always stay with me. It was incredible. Beautiful yeah, because you lived... You lived around the corner or in the same neighborhood as his sister. I was curious to know whether you would see him very often. Now, if you knew his sister was coming home and that he may have been joining him, uh, joining her, would you make sure to be out there with your pads to let him see what you had to show, or, or were you a little bit nervous at that point? I was too scared. Too scared. <laughs> All I wanted to see was was the magic as he was walking towards the house to, to see his sister or just to say, uh, you know what, it's been years and years and years. And when we're talking about this, it's like it happened last week, you know, just a beautiful thing. What a great That's individual. Yeah. He was such a legend, such a icon in Montreal. Uh, you know, obviously people remember him for wearing one of the 
I think he was the first mask, wasn't he? I don't know if he was the first, but he was iconically, he took the puck to the face and then has that famous shot of him with the mask afterwards. Now, I was going to get into this a little bit later, but because we brought up the mask, I actually kind of want to take take this uh, uh, on on a little bit of a journey here. Bernie, you went from idolizing Jacques when you were a child to essentially having him be one of your mentors when you played with him on the Toronto Maple Leafs, correct? He was, I believe, 42 at that time, Mm -hmm. uh, and you learned quite a bit from him and then later in your career apparently he helped you get back on your game after your Stanley Cup wins by telling you to be more aggressive be more the stand-up goalie that that you were what was that like going from having someone you know you were nervous to even see this guy walk into his sister's house to now you're playing with him every day and having him teach you the ins and outs of the game well uh, you know when uh, very very fortunate you know that um, I was in that situation and think about this. When I got traded from the Flyers to Toronto, of course I was disappointed. Yeah. And I didn't know what what was going to happen in Toronto. And little little now little that I know, you know, at the time, knew at the time that um, I was going to spend two years with Clown. Yeah. And I remember when I got there, I said, Wow, yeah, here we are, you know, and I watch him practice. I watched him play. The guy was just, the, the man, not the guy, the man was just incredible. And finally, one day I asked him, I said, can you teach me? He said, sure. And this is when my career changed, turned around. And I shared this, you know, it's a good question. And I shared this with people because when something doesn't happen in life, you know, most people get um, uh, down, you know, and uh, disappointed or whatever. My philosophy is always, if it doesn't happen, it's because of something better coming up. Okay, that's fair. I like that. You know, it's a beautiful way to live. And um, I learned, and I'll, I'll um, uh, just um, touch a specific thing here that I learned from him. And I worked with a defenseman in, in Philly that when the players would come down one-on-one of the defensemen, defensemen would always play the man, not the part right. of the man. So if, if it was a right-hand shot, I knew that the shot would be going on my left side because that's where the opening was. And right. if it's a left-hand shot, I knew the shot would go towards my stick side because that's where the opening was. So those are little tricks that I learned from him were just, just incredible. Just as a veteran. Now, I want to I pull on this thread a little bit more because uh, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but your career was cut short uh, when you had an eye injury as a result of a stick going through your mask. Mm-hmm. And after that point in time, there was a large-scale shift from the fiberglass masks to the helmet and cage masks that goalies now wear. Has anyone ever pointed out to you the irony of the fact that Jacques, who was your hero and then your mentor, both of you are known for an iconic shift in face mask coverings as they're used in the NHL. Obviously, he has the famous image of him with the mask after he got hit. Mask started to change after you had your eye injury. Um, have you ever thought about that? Has that ever been brought up to you, how, how similar those two stories are? Well, you know what? Remember, you play so many years with the mask low to your face, okay? And, and you have to remember, when you do this, after a while, that becomes part of your style. And I tried a couple of times with a, a, a cage, you know, yeah, practice, and it just wasn't me. I didn't move right. the same way, and it just, it just, uh, it wasn't me. So that's why I went back and stayed with the uh, the mask that was molded to my face. 
it became you know well, very very important. For sure. I don't know if you're going to get into this, but Bernie is one of the most iconic masks. I love it uh, ever. Um, I know maybe Jerry Cheever's because of the stitches, but his mask made Time Magazine. Well, Time Magazine, not just the mask. Bernie was, I believe, the fifth NHL player, first goalie ever to appear on the cover of Time Magazine. Partially, I mean, your your uh, the mask was so iconic. It almost had that plague doctor look. Um, uh, you know, you, you you mentioned your wife is from Italy, and I know in Venice the uh, the plague doctor mask is very very iconic. Uh, it has that big nose uh, where the doctors used to put the posies in, believing that it protected from uh, the bubonic plague. Uh, was that a part of the design, or how did you come up with this that iconic, frankly terrifying looking mask? Uh, very intimidating looking mask. What what went into that uh, well, that design? First of all, thanks a lot. The mask was most of my. Um a structure of my uh, my face. I didn't think I'd look that bad, you know. <laughs> they, uh, but the mask, you know, but the mask, or you should see, I have a, little, a quick story. The the mask was um, produced in Toronto, all right? And and then we played in Toronto that, um, you know, that one weekend and the day before we, um, you know, we practiced. And then, and then the individual would come in and, mold the mask around a bone, you know, uh, my face. Then came the time to close my eyes, okay? <laughs> and then what he did, he had two little straws, so I would break through it. So um, as soon as he covered my eyes, then I'm breathing through those straws. It was darkness, right? Oh. Then the players would come in and put their fingers on the straw, so I couldn't <laughs> And then I would pull everything off. And and the whole thing went on for about four hours, for God's sake. It was, it was crazy. It was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. We went into players' uh, gags and punks and pranks that they used to do. That, that's on a on the last story. episode, we were talking about how hockey players tend to have the greatest sense of humor, and that's that's a, a mm-hmm. perfect example. We should have had you on for the last episode. Um, now, Bernie, I, I do want to ask as well, because you grew up, this is, we'll get into your, your earlier playing days a little bit, uh, and then and then a bit more on the, the marketing thing, but there are a couple questions that I have. One of them, you had seven siblings, or you were one of seven siblings? Uh, one of seven, yeah. One of yeah. seven. Now, I, was, I was the youngest, the youngest one. I was going to ask, because I wasn't sure if you were the youngest, was part of you putting on the goalie pads for the first time just a result of your older siblings needing someone to shoot on? Or did you always want to be goalie? Well, here's, here's a quick story. In those days, we used to play hockey in the streets because the ice remained the whole winter. They didn't right. have the chemicals then. So, um, so you know, I, I played a little bit forward, a little bit goalie and whatever. So... One day, I decided to, I wanted to be a defenseman, okay? So we had, if you remember, we remember we had outdoor rinks. And, right. and um, then I put the skates on, which we only had one pair of skates in my family, so they were a little bit big. But the players had to go around the ice once. And depending on your speed, then the, the coach would give you a position on the team. So my turn came, okay? So I stepped on the ice. I skated around the ice, and most players did theirs in like 13, 14 seconds, whatever. I did mine in 22 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so the coach looked at me and said, goaltender, right? <laughs> That's how I became a goalie. That's now, a I great never, story. Now, think about this. Never played goal with the skates on. So my first game, game they scored over 20 goals against me. So wow. the, coach looked, the coach looked at me and said, out of here, right? <laughs> and... 
But I, I remember at that time that when I went back and played in the street again with, um, with uh, my friends, then I uh, somehow, I, I, I don't know, something happened in, in my mind that I wanted, I wanted to be a goaltender. So I started practicing with the skates on. And it's funny, five weeks later, his goaltender got hurt. So he asked me if I could um, would um, uh, give it one more shot. I said, sure. Yeah. And, um, and we won the game, and then I was on my way. Oh, wow. wow. You know what? These are stories. So I've spent a lot of time with Bernie over the years, and we've had dinner together. And, and, he's, and I just keep my mouth shut and listen to the stories because they're so great. But I've never heard those last two, so that's great. I'm always fascinated by how players, particular for defense and goalie, like why they choose. I mean, for when I was growing up, everyone wanted to be forward, especially center. You wanted to be, because that was where you thought you were going to shine the most. I've heard other players argue that you want to play defense because you get the most amount of time on the ice. No one spends more time on the ice than the goalie. So that, that may be it as well. Um, I also, I want to draw attention to this, Bernie, because um, you're... Uh, your grasp of the English language now is 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 perfect. Uh, but when you first started off in the league, a lot of people uh, uh, knew you for not having as uh, as as much confidence in speaking English, especially playing for a team like Philadelphia. Uh, you know, in your earlier career, you were known for not wanting to give interviews in English because you were afraid of saying the wrong thing, not because you didn't know what to say, but because maybe the words would escape you. Maybe you'd get a bit flustered. How much did you find that that got in the way? of you marketing yourself, you know, you trying to make a name for yourself. You're already a goalie. You may not have that many chances on the ice before you, you have to play some time in the minors. Did you find that an issue at all, especially playing in Philadelphia? Well, uh, let's go back a little bit when I was 17, living in Montreal, and I got drafted by the Boston Bruins, okay? And yep. the farm team of the Boston Bruins was Niagara Falls. So I picked up, yeah, 17, picked up my suitcase, got on the train, and I went to Niagara Falls, yeah, and couldn't speak, uh, couldn't speak the language, and quite a few people asked me, why did you go to Niagara Falls, you know, with, you could have stayed home and find a job or do, do some, something else, right, and I keep telling people all the time, you have to have a vision, you have to have a passion in life, yeah, because if you ask other people, you walk around in the street and you say, what's your passion? I don't know. And hmm. if you don't have a passion, you keep going in circle in life. Yeah? And the passion is something that you really enjoy, really want to do it. And then at the time, my passion was to play the National Hockey League. And I was willing to do anything to, to get to the National Hockey League. Well, that's interesting because, you know, uh, we talked as well uh, to uh, Dennis Marouk, who has played, who had played in, in both the NHL, who was drafted to the NHL, but spent some time in the WHA as well. Uh, you mentioning that you had a dream of playing in the NHL. Eventually, you became, and I didn't realize this, you were the first player to sign with a team in the WHA, the first NHL player, uh, where you, you, it was with Miami originally, that team didn't pan out, so you signed with, I believe it was the Philadelphia team in the WHA, but for someone who grew up wanting to play in the NHL, is there a reason why you decided to sign with uh, with uh, a team in the WHA? Well, uh, you know, it was, Money. Uh, was, <laughs> yeah, think, think about this. I was playing for Toronto at the time. I had right. I had learned two years of, of goaltending from clown, you know, and um, and it, it was it was something exciting about about this league that um, lured me, you know, over. And I said, if it doesn't work out. Think about this now, about risk-taking. And I share people about 
you have to take risk, calculated risk, but take risk in, in your life. So I took the risk and I went over and I said, if it doesn't work out, then I'll come back to the National Hockey League. Well, it didn't work out. They didn't like it. And um, so I came back to National Hockey League and the rule was you had to go back to your original team. Right. Love this. Uh, so I had to go back to Toronto. And a week later, I believe Toronto graded me back to Philly. Right. And, and for the, the same player, right? And, and Pavel, think, I believe. And think about this. And we won the two Stanley Cups. Now, right if afterwards. Played, if I would have played the safe in Toronto, I would have never played in Philly for those two Stanley Cups. Nothing there wrong with go. being in Toronto, but I would have missed out on those two Stanley Cups in Philly. And, so, and what a season so. those were, too. Those two seasons, you know, winning both the Vesna and the Conn Smythe both times, uh, notoriously one of the most dominant two-season performances, if not any individual performance there. You had the record for the most number of regular season wins uh, at the time uh, at 47. That's been passed twice since then at 48. Once by, I believe, Braden Holtby and once by uh, Martin Brodeur. Brodeur now, yeah. the, the difference is, Brodeur being the first one to do it, the difference is they got the benefit of overtime wins and they had four more games per season. The year that you did it, it was a 78 game season. Do you ever like, is that one of your most cherished accomplishments, even though you've won a, two Stanley cups in the Smythe and Vesna? Well, you know, when you look at this, you look at 42 wins. Okay. And you look, we're talking about goaltending. And one thing you learn as a kid in sports, this is why I push kids in sports. You know, it's very important. And it's important because because kids learn at a young age that if you want to succeed in life, you have to be surrounded by good people. Right. A good group of people. Then then you move as a team. You have a chance to win. So so going back going back to those forty seven wins, we had a great team. We had a great system. Great coach, GM, and people in Philly. The whole bit, which is which is important to. You know, to reach a goal like this, you can't do it on your on your own. Matter of fact, to me, you look at the two. For me, because I, you know, I uh, they're young enough to, for me to remember that they um, um, Gretzky and Bobby Orr, for an example. Right. You put those guys on the ice by themselves; they don't win the championship. That's fair. You know, so you have yeah. to be surrounded by a good team to um, to to go out and function and make it happen. Now, good players make other players better and, as and, well. So I think uh, Wayne, being on the ice with Wayne or being on, on the ice with the people that you had in front of you, and it wasn't really very tough team, was it? <laughs> no, no, just a bunch of softies. <laughs> that it was an. Inc- I'll tell you, here's a funny story I just thought of, as, uh, and I think it was Jim McKenney's line. He said, when we had to go down to Philadelphia to play a game and the team bus pulled up in front of the building, and we got off to get into the spectrum. He said, the bus didn't stop shaking for 10 minutes after we got off it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. I mean, I've seen some some documentaries about the old, obviously, a little bit before my time, but one of the most fascinating uh, teams, I think, that have existed in the in, in the, the scope of the NHL. Let's, let's wrap up the conversation about specifically playing for that team with a moment. Uh, and I think this will bring us into marketing as well. You mentioned Bobby Orr. One of the most interesting things I've ever heard you say, and I've seen the video of this, and I didn't know it until I heard you say it, is that with four seconds left in the Stanley Cup Finals, 
you were kind of counting down the time, looking up at the clock. Let, let him tell or, this story. This yeah, is can you great can you tell the story about how things almost went very sideways? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You have to picture that we had, I believe, seventeen thousand double oh seven. I think that's that's what we're holding. But but for the last game, I think we had more than that, and we had, um, I think it was like ten seconds left in the game. The face-off is in the Boston end, okay? And now you get picture everybody standing up. They're all cheering, you know. They're all pumped, you know. The Flyers are going to win the Stanley Cup. So the referee, the linesman, drops the puck. And somehow he goes back to Bobby Orr. And he shoots down the ice. And at the same time, I'm looking at the clock, okay? <laughs> and, and then all I heard next to me was, bang! I mean, bang, you know, they hit the boards behind me and never saw it. So, um, so if he would have scored, um, first of all, I don't think I'd be doing the interview with you today. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I would still be alive today if he would have scored. That- so think about this. You know, when, when, you, um, when, when you look at life sometimes and, and, um, and uh, you know, it, it's good to go back and, and remember those situations because, you know, there's one word that look, I, I live by every day. You know, it's very important to me is uh, grateful, to be grateful that it didn't go in and miss the net. You know? So, right. Uh, can you imagine that puck going down, uh, you know, you got a one goal lead uh-huh. mm-hmm. and, and he's down at the other end, just looking up, trying to envision what's going to happen in the next seven or four to seven seconds. And he hears the puck hit the boards be, oh. beside the net. Yeah. And, and if it hits the boards, well, I don't know what's wrong, but Bobby Orr wasn't much of a player or he would have hit the net, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what? It's, yeah. it, it, it's such a great story. And I don't know if there any, how many people know that story that that I feel like, well, everyone would know it if it actually went in, but the, you know, Bob, that's a Bill Buckner. So uh, I was going to, I was going to bring this up because, uh, a, that would be another, you know, Bobby Orr's image of the goal is one of the most famous. You talk about marketing and memorabilia, one of the highest selling images of a hockey player of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not like he needs the, the goal and the other goal, which would have been this case. Now, if that had gone in, you, rather than spending your time signing pictures with your iconic mask and with the Stanley Cup and inscribing Vesna and Conn Smythe winner, would likely have the Bill, uh, the, the Bill Buckner treatment of signing a photo of the puck going in the net with you standing there like Bill Buckner. I think Bill Buckner's made more money signing that photo than he ever did playing. Yeah. Play, it's a shame. It's baseball. a shame the puck missed the net. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I have to tell you something too. I love this man. Um, he he's got such a great attitude, yeah. and as you can tell by some of the things he's already said. Yeah. But one of my my favorite experiences, um, and it and there were two of them with two different players, but was um, I was down. Bernie set up a meeting with me uh, with the management down in Philadelphia, and he sat in on the meeting to you know to talk about memorabilia that we could sell them and how we can increase their business. And after the meeting, he invited me as his guest to the hockey game that night. And we walked and we, you know, hardly sat down. Yeah. Bernie walked around the building and during intermission and he was like Babe Ruth in Yankee stadium. Yeah. He, people stopped him everywhere. He's hugging kids. He's signing autographs. They, he is so beloved in Philadelphia 
which is also known as one of the toughest crowds, never mind the Broad Street, Broad Street Bullies, the, the toughest crowds. You don't want to be an opposing fan sitting in that no, stadium no. because it's very uncomfortable. I, mean, I know I Troy mean, Crosby, he won't sit. It's one arena. He won't sit in the stands. He'll have to get a private box when he goes We've in. heard that from the parents of some of the players that playing in Philadelphia, that's one of the places where they will not watch their children play because uh, it's just too ruthless on it. And you saw the other side of that. And Bernie, I know we're going to ask you and you're going to say, I don't know what they're talking about. Our fans are great. They treat us great. <laughs> do you see the other side of it? Like, what, what is your, uh, what do you have to say to the fans of Philly uh, in terms of, you know, keeping your legacy up and uh, keeping the fans of the other team out? Well, you know what? I, as far as I'm concerned, for me anyway, we, um, we had and we have the greatest um, fans in the world. You know, they're, um, you know, they'll uh, stand by you, you know, and because it's not always, uh, you don't win every year, you know, but they'll right. stand, they'll stand by you all the time. And, and, you know, and, and they love, they love the, the game has changed, you know, it's a, it's a different game, but they, they love in the old days, they love the good physical, the good hitting game. You know, they love the skating game. They love the shooting, you know, the whole bit. So there was a good, uh, uh, you know, a, a combination of uh, many things that, really made those people really enjoy the game, not just the goal, but the, the, whole, the whole game itself. And, Absolutely. And, and you know what? When you step on the ice, it's almost like being a, uh, um, a performer in, in, in Vegas or something. <laughs> you step on the ice and you have 20,000 people cheering for you, standing up. It, it elevates you to a different, a different level, you know? And, yeah. um, and you play better for that. Yeah, the only time anyone's cheered for me standing up was my mom and dad at about one when I finally learned to walk. That was that was the only time anyone has ever cheered for me for standing up. Well, uh, I, that's um, uh, it could be a story. I don't know if they did or not. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably not. Probably not. Uh, no, I I love that though. I mean, I, I there's so much uh, to get into in terms of the marketing as as well and and your career. You know, known as potentially the uh, or often referred to as the last great stand up goalie. The era has changed quite a bit to butterfly since Patrick Waugh and, and the high scoring of the, uh, of, of the league at that time. But you did spend some time, as we mentioned in the WHA, and that was known as a league with a very heavy offensive capability, less defensive, which may be one of the reasons why you wanted to come back. But did you start to feel like the NHL was turning into more of a WHA style league at that point in time when, you know, the Gretzky started to come on and, and stand up goalies started to have to rethink their game a little bit. Uh, no, not really. When Wayne played, you know, the game, look, they had the tough, they had a good team. They had a, a very physical team too. Yeah. And, um, and when Orr played, you know, they, they had a, uh, Boston had a, a physical team too. So, so they, you know, those two, two, two players are exceptional, you know, but they played when, when the, when the game was played, uh, that we were talking about. Now, for an example, you mentioned. I want to. I want to touch base on this a little bit. You mentioned the goalies, okay? Right. And you look the difference with the goalies today, and and when I played, the big big difference. Not in town, but as far as the equipment is concerned, you know, you have the the pads, for an example. Right. They're so stiff. If you watch your goalies, all the goalies in the league are wearing the same pads, so they must have a, a, some type of a, a deal. Uh, going on with uh, with the company or whatever, but they're so stiff that they can't turn their feet. 
Right. That's why they drop to their knees all the time. So the difference is here, it's very, very important. When you stand up and you're able to move your feet to redirect the rebounds, different situations, depending where the players are, it, it gives you a big advantage. You know, it's called making a save. Today, when you drop to your knees, is you're blocking it. You're uh, not that's making a nice save. You're blocking it. So and then when you're blocking it, the rebound goes back in front all the time. Right. Well, you know what? In my, kinds, yeah. in no. my era, in, which is your era, we used to watch the goalies, and it, 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 the goalies were a lot more animated. You watch oh, yeah. Bernie. You watch oh, yeah. Johnny Bauer. You watch they're twisting, they're turning, they're falling, they're all over the place. It was a lot more exciting to watch a goalie back then, and, and this came up in the – in the playoffs this year in the finals where you saw the difference between Carey Price's yeah. equipment and, uh, and uh, Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky's equipment. And, and a lot of it is about the equipment. You're absolutely right. It was a lot more fun. And I, and I see some, I, I was watching some highlights the other day on TSN and we were talking about uh, Steve Eiserman shot right. in the upper corner right, against him. Right. Well, those kind of goals are much harder to get now because there's so much less space to hit. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you got to give a lot more credit to the, to the goalies of the past Absolutely. Uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, they're all athletes. And, and we can talk about, and this might be a good lead into the past versus the present. Sure. And the way, you know, the, the guys come to training camp these days, they're all in perfect shape. They train all summer long. It wasn't that way in the old days where, you know, the summer was a good party and then you'd kind of use training camp to get back in shape and then you'd start the season. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Bernie's done a major transition over the years in, in, uh, in his own personal life and in his playing life. But some of the early stories, like, had me howling. Well, we Bernie, do you, do you have any stories that, uh, that you'd be uh, willing to share about some of those days? Obviously, you know, the difference between goalies then and now Stand up versus butterfly, sure, but there I'll is be, also the, the partying. Did you? I'll be for your question. I'll be, um, I'll, I'll be to get hit by one of your questions. So, Brian, do you have any, um, a, uh, <laughs> a question you'd you like to? Well, me to you answer? told me, a, you told me a story <laughs> once which had me howling, and it. it in the old days, like I said, uh, you know, you, the guys would have beer in the dressing room afterwards, and, and it was a one big party. You'd leave practice. Uh, I've talked to a number of players, not talking specifically about you, but the practice, and then they'd go out and, uh, to a bar and have a few pops and, and talk about that and, and t- talk stories and, and, uh, and then get ready for the game in a day or two. But you told me about a road trip to the uh, West Coast one time in your drinking days that had me in stitches and amazed. So, and it would never be able to happen today with cameras and, and Twitter and all that stuff. But do, do you remember the story? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, we're talking about drinking, guys. Uh, I'm very grateful again, you know, grateful that um, I've been sober for 42 years, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one day at a time, you know, but at the time, um, hey, I was drinking, you know, and, um, and we played in San Francisco the first time, first game when we always flew from uh, Philly to out west, San Francisco. And then we had, at that, uh, that week, we had four or five days in between from San Francisco and Los Angeles. So guess what? After the game, you know, never be, uh, uh, the day of the game or whatever, but I, after the game, 
then we went out and we had fun and we partied and the whole bit. And finally, um, the story goes, I woke up, I woke up and, um, and uh, we had two um, double beds in the room. And um, I turned around and I see Bobby Taylor sleeping in his bed. And I had no clue where I was. So the chief woke up and I said, chief, I said, um, um, where are we? See, you pinned the blinds a little bit. And he said, he called me Ben. You know, that's how they called me Ben. You know, at the time he said, Ben, he said, I don't know. He said, I see palm trees everywhere. I said, Billy. <laughs> so we made a phone call down, down the, uh, downstairs and, um, asked, asked them where we were. They said, you're in Hawaii, sir. <laughs> so, so the beauty about this is Fred Sherrill was looking for us. They said, I don't have my goalies for practice, right? I don't know how to reach them. So finally, we got on the phone and we, um, you know, we called Fred and we said that we apologize that um, that uh, that old mistake. We took the wrong door. We ended up in the airport. So, so, so we, we flew back. And you know what, what you said earlier? Brian, which is so true, you know, everything was quiet and uh, nobody got hurt. And we went on practice hard and um, realized the mistake we made. But there was people, you know, the, the guys laughed at it. And then we went on and uh, and uh, played the next game and everything was fine. But you could How did yeah. you guys play that night? How, how did how was practice for you guys and how did you play the next game? Oh, God. Well, we had uh, three days to practice. Yeah. OK. So, uh, so you can uh, get yourself back in shape. I've, I've had hangovers that have lasted four or five days, so I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, it's it's uh, you know it, it, fun to to joke about that stuff. You know, we've all had those moments in our in our our past, but not to to make too much light of the situation. Because Bernie, you mentioned that you've been sober now for forty two years, yeah. one day at a time, as you mentioned, uh, and you've actually done quite a bit of work in terms of spreading your philosophy and your uh, life advice in in this department you actually have two books that are out there one is bernie perrant unmasked which i believe is more about uh your your life story and your playing career but more recently a book has come out called journey through risk and fear written by michelle paeva dean smith and yourself and it seems to be like some of your life philosophies uh and and maybe some advice to help people who may find themselves going down a path like yours you know we sell for sports marketing memorabilia signed product and all that but for a lot of people it is something different what what was that process like writing that book and what ultimately made you decide that you wanted to get it out there well a um a, you know the problems that it was creating you know the problems that um, that um you know that alcohol does to you that it's not really you but there's a substance that makes you act and do crazy stuff, you know. And um, and today, like I said, very, very grateful. And um, I'm involved, you know, with the program to help North Star uh, substance, substance abuse. And, and we help, you know, we help thousands of people to get back and, and um, to, um, to uh, it's a disease that you don't cure, you just arrest. It's very important right. to understand this. So... Just quickly here, um, after 42 years, I have to remember that I'm only one sip away from losing the whole thing. That's scary. That's fair. Yeah. Right. So people, places, and things are very, very important for me. Now, what was that process like writing that book? Uh, did you find it difficult to kind of relive some of those moments, or did you find it sort of healing to be able to uh, uh, reappropriate them in your, in your brain and, and then express them to, in order to help other people? 
No, you know what? It's good. Even even now, as I'm sharing with you guys, you know, sharing what um, briefly, you know, what um, went on and um, where the, um, uh, you know, disease took me, you know, took me away from who I am. And, um, um, you know, what the, uh, it, was, it was difficult. It's a heck of a, you know, powerful disease. And it all comes back to, again, guys, it's all the same thing with sports. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. You can't do it by yourself. You have to yeah. be part of a team. You know, Absolutely. And, and for me, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And you have to be part of a team because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to break down. No question about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? So, and I'm thinking too, because uh, back in the day, and I still think the culture is still there, party and, right. you know, you're on a team thing. So it's a lot more difficult in those days where it was, well, let's go out for a drink afterwards. But, you know, I'd, I've known Bernie now for a number of years and I've known him personally from this side of the thing, although, you know, from the, the recovery other stories, side, yeah, from yeah. the recovery side. But um, I I follow him and uh, watch him. Actually, I think he follows me too on Facebook and watches the things that we do. But I'm watching how much he's enjoying life now and how much he gives. And there's photos of charities and how much time that he gives to them. Um, and really, I think uh, sober, going sober, getting sober and staying sober allows you to think uh, of other people a lot more too rather than yourself. So sure. that's where he's at. Well, speaking of uh, you know thinking about other people, uh, Philadelphia had made you their uh, you know one of your one of their ambassadors of hockey. You know that that is a job that requires you to constantly be thinking about other free people. In fact, that is the requirement, uh, and that I believe would have started after you had begun to make your recovery. Um, what has that process been like? Is that something that you've been enjoyed to be able to get out into the hockey community? And what are some of the stakes, uh, steps you take to engage and give back? Well, you know what it's a. Like I said, people have changed. The game has changed. The individual, the players have changed. You know, it's a diff different approach now. And I'm not as involved as, uh, you know, I used to be because it's like anything else. A different generation come in and sure. they, they, they come up and they, um, um, you know, they, um, they try to, uh, to help, you know, as much as, much as they can. Yep. But, they, um, but uh, you know what? In Philly, anytime I have a chance to uh, to help to help situation to help people, you know, I'm I'm there because people have always been there for me, you know, and, and something I and there's there's something I'm going to share with you very quickly. It's very very important how I live my life, and it works. It's it's magic. It's incredible. People have to understand this. Okay, my my power is universe. Okay. That's my power. So, so three basic things here. Ask, believe, and receive. And when you ask for something, you ask the universe for something, make it big because it's like taking a bucket of water out of the ocean. It doesn't change the ocean. Okay? Make right. it big. And once you've asked the universe for something, realize that it already exists. It's yours. And believe. Every day you walk around, you're happy and you believe because you're not asking, how am I going to do this? What is going to happen? Let it go. Universe, it's, it take care of this. And um, as believe and then receive. At the right place, at the right time, the right people, situation will show up and to help you to, um, to um, reap what you, um, you've been asking for. 
And, you know, it's a beautiful day. Every day I get up, I have, I ask for, you know, a lot of things, you know. And um, I get up in the morning, am I worrying about how it's going to happen? No. I know it exists already, and it will right. be shown to me. It's a beautiful right. way to live. You know what? I've known Bernie now uh, personally for a number of years, but I've never seen him more happy than since he got married to his beautiful wife, Jeannie. Right. And I think you have such a great relationship with your wife. Uh, you're so close with with uh, with her, and I know that uh, that makes every day even more special, huh? Oh, definitely. You know, good a good companion. You know, you're never lonely. You know, it's a uh, you, we do. As a matter of fact, you know what? The rule we have. Think about this. The rule we have is we only have one car. Think about this instead right. of two cars. So every time we want to do something, yeah, you do it together. What a great way to! Uh, I like it. That's amazing. That's, that's a great. That's I an mean, interesting these, these philosophy. Are all... I don't know if I could do that with my wife yet, but we're getting there. <laughs> no, these are all great pieces of advice and great life advice. And uh, well, I've mentioned this before, but I highly recommend you go out and check "Journey Through Risk and Fear," written once again by Michelle Paeva, Dean Smith, and uh, and Bernie Perron. It's available on Amazon. More of these little tidbits of advice. It is more of I don't want to say self help necessarily, but just shedding light uh, from the perspective of someone who has been through so much. And I find it very interesting now, you know, we talk about your wife, Jeannie, and how much you've gotten out of one person after spending your entire life, as you mentioned, in front of 17,007 people in Philadelphia, all of their love being thrown at you. And yet the only love that truly matters is from the one person that you find. I I think there's something poetic in that as well. Um, But if we may shift a little bit to those 17,000 people, I want to talk a little bit about your life and involvement with marketing uh, memorabilia and and, and just kind of your whole image as a hockey player post-career. One of the most famous things about you, apart from your mask and obviously apart from your great play, is the bumper stickers with a very famous slogan Ah, that that. you will still find to this day Mm -hmm. littering the bumpers of all the cars in Philadelphia. Uh, Only God saves more than Bernie Perrant. Uh, You came into the league not uh, speaking as much English as you may have wanted to, so you let your play do the speaking for you, and now everyone's bumper stickers are doing the speaking for you. What goes through your head when you see that bumper sticker? Does that still have an impact? Of course, and that we've 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 been talking here for a while, and um, it's always you know it's always the same. Uh, um, only Lord says more, you know. So so you have your vision, and um, only Lord can make it happen. You know, make no mistake about it. You know, like yeah, I said before. Yeah. And by the way, you know, you're talking about miracles. My wife used to be a Boston Bruins fan. Oh wow! No, wow! Just, listen, I'm just kidding, folks. I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> I want to be alive next week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, a beautiful, beautiful human being. You know, we uh, like I said, we um, we have um, differences, of course, but um, communication is so important. You know, and a good communication will um, always result in um, um, a, a good ending. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we're we're running a little bit low on time. I want to get into one more uh, semi segment. I'd love to get your perspective. You know, you've had a lot of achievements, a lot of great things come your way as a result of your uh, your your career. Uh, asking the universe for it, being open to receiving it. I want to go through three things that I think are fairly significant in your career and ask you if you have a, a one that stands out to you as the most meaningful. Um, the seasons, the two seasons in a row, obviously winning 
to Stanley Cups, Vesna, and Conn Smythe. That we're going to kind of leave aside. But we do have one thing we love at Frameworth is a good banner-raising ceremony and a jersey retirement for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of marketing that we can do around that. It commemorates a night, lets fans truly appreciate the entire career of someone. So one of them was the banner-raising ceremony. The other was the Time Magazine cover. And then the third was the uh, the record of most wins per season. Of those three, is there one that you're most proud of or that represents the most amount of joy that you've experienced uh, coming coming off of those? Well, um, number one would be talking to you guys this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that? gracious. That's amazing. Yeah, how about that? Isn't that incredible? The, um, and the rest, it's all, you know what? It's all part... And, and, you know, I, I keep I touch base again with the universe. It's all part of the whole, the whole uh, picture, you know. And, and the picture is, is, I think you mentioned the risk and fear earlier, the book. And um, the reason for this is, is you look at those, those awards, very, very grateful for that, believe me. But it's, you know what, I, I share with people, which is very important, if you don't take risk in life, Think about this, very powerful. If you don't take risk in life, you're going to live the same way the rest of your life. Now, if True. you're happy that way, then fine, live that way. But I'm, I'm the one I like to explore. You know? Yeah. I like to try different things in life, and it's, uh, it makes it exciting. So as far as, as, far as those, those awards are concerned, I cherish all of them the same, at the same level. Beautiful. They're all like your like your children. You can't you can't love one more than the other. And you know what? It doesn't just you your your philosophy about taking risks doesn't. We had a, a whole show on taking risks. Uh, it doesn't just apply to the hockey world. It, it whatever business you're in, and and we went over all the things that that helped me evolve to where I am today. From taking a risk in the restaurant business to taking a risk in the framing business. Some went good, some went bad. But get up and fix it. I've had a business that went bankrupt. You turn it around, you fight back, and you keep going, and you keep taking risks if you believe in yourself, and you got to believe in yourself, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, truly, that's it, it truly seems like uh, uh, you know people often people who don't understand sports. Uh, often look at sports as though they're frivolous, as though they're kind of meaningless, as though it's just sort of a, a way to waste time. But the metaphor of the struggle and victory in sport is something that you can take and apply it to every other element of your of life, course. whether you're playing sports or not. And I think that's a, a key distinction and uh, why I think it's so interesting for you to have that uh, perspective in, in Journey Through Risk and Fear, uh, because you're using all those skills as a way to sort of build on that. And, it's, it's and look, look, at, look at the bright side. It's, you know, it's working. I'm talking to you guys this morning and I'm still happy. Yeah. So. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, normally if someone spends 45 minutes talking to me, they're less happy, so I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, I will say this, Bernie. We It's been so long. I think the last time I saw you was in Tampa Bay, and Jeannie picked me out of a crowd while you were doing an autograph signing there in the in the court. It was an all-star game. Yeah, it was the all-star game a few years back. Yeah. And, uh, and she ran me over. <laughs> I, I was embarrassed. She's so great. She saw me in the store. She said, oh, you got to come see Bernie. I said, well, I, I think he's over there doing an autograph signing. People lined up all through the square. She breaks through the line, <laughs> brings me over the Bernie. He stops what he's doing, gives me a big hug, and, uh, and, and then we proceeded on from there. It was so great to see you. But what I was going to say is when these borders open up a little bit, we got to get together and do you a gotta little You got to come down. I have, I, have a 40, I have a beautiful place in Avalon 
uh, New Jersey on the water, and I keep the boat behind the house. I have a 45-foot boat. So you come down, and I'll take you guys fishing. Yeah, uh, it sounds awesome. That's, that's, now that. you're speaking our language. I love that. I may not be able to play hockey, but I can fish. That is one thing that I <laughs> can do. Uh, Bernie, thank you so much for this interview. I had an absolute blast. Uh, uh, any any closing thoughts before we go? Any plugs? Anything you want people to check out? No, just just the um, you know what? It's just a um, you know you go through life, folks. You know, there's always something to be grateful for. And when you're grateful for something, somehow it multiplies. You know, it's a beautiful yeah, thing. So instead sure. of focusing on what's lacking, focus on what you're grateful for. Beautiful thing. Well, if you appreciate some of the things that Bernie's been saying and his philosophy of life, you should try and check him out on Instagram. Um, yeah, what's your Instagram handle? You, you better ask my wife this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll link to that you know, in the show well, notes. You know, Einstein said... Um, um, to have to have a vision is more important than education, you know. And it, yeah. it, it, yeah, it's important because then you have a vision for something, then you surround yourself with the right people to make it happen. Absolutely, in a beautiful way. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so I apologize for this um, um, lack of knowledge here, but uh, my wife will be no. You know, it's happy. at Bernie Perrant one. At Bernie Perrant one, uh, obviously the the number you can see if you're watching us on YouTube, the jersey in the background, which is a very nice touch. I, at Bernie it's Perrant not coincidence one. that I'm wearing bright orange today. Okay? Exactly. Yeah, my dad <laughs> wanted to match the uh, match I, the jersey. I, I got to tell you, it's a tough thing to do uh, when you're a Leaf fan all your life, and of course, and now we represent Sidney Crosby, so mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Toronto, and that that great rivalry between Pittsburgh oh, yeah. and and Philadelphia. So it's really tough, and I find myself sometimes when I get really angry that. Philadelphia is winning a game <laughs> that I have a good friend who yes, played for the team. So yes. I got to stop posting anything that's really negative. The, the human element is uh, is a big <laughs> which, factor. Which is a great individual, by the way. Love them. He's yes. great for the game. That's for sure. Yes, he yeah. is. Very Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Uh, Bernie, once again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, for my dad, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast. This is us signing off. Here, Stanley Cup rings. Hey, Uh, check those out. That's a nice image. That's a good one to go out on. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey. Or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions. Executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is my Mike Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Give him